0: Romans 13. Um, so if you're a parent here today, um, you're probably aware of the struggle that all parents have. There's a a lesson that, that you have tried to teach your child pretty much since birth, especially since the toddler stage. And that lesson is some variation on you are not in charge, right? You're not the boss. Um, and... Uh, Parenting beyond your capacity. Great uh, class just started today at nine thirty. Is going to address some of that, I, I believe. Um, parents who love their children give their children some boundaries, right? Parents who love their children give their children some boundaries uh, and 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 train their children. You're not the boss. I love you enough to communicate to you that you're not the boss. You're not in charge. And 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 and, and God loves you. And God loves you and me enough to put some boundaries on us. And God has been teaching me my entire life the very same thing I'm trying to teach my kids, and you've tried to teach your kids. What God is still teaching me is, Matt, you're not the boss. Matt, you're not in charge. Any of us need to learn that lesson over and over and over again, but God loves you, and he puts boundaries in your life, and and he puts people in your life, and some of the people that God puts in our lives are people in in positions of authority, and authority, human authority, is part of what God uses to shape us and to remind us uh, that we're not in charge, And, and God's people Jesus' followers can become a people who honor authority and submit to authority, not in gritted teeth and like, you know, with, with, you know, with our, our, our fists clenched, but joyfully and gladly we can honor those in authority. So let's do some word association. When I say that word authority, anybody's heart just skip in, in joy and gratitude? Do we, do we like the word authority? Most of us do not. Uh, I mean, we like to be in authority, maybe, but most of us do not enjoy being under authority. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't necessarily have to be in charge, but I don't want anybody else to be in charge over me. That's is that maybe how a lot of us feel? Okay. Uh, and so we we specifically think about some types of authority. When I say the word referee, does that bring any emotional? Uh, baggage, here. A couple weeks ago, not to bring up a, a painful memory, but here a couple weeks ago, Sweetwater had a game against Snyder, and uh, maybe a maybe a bad call made. Sweetwater loses the game by by one point. I mean, uh, I saw the pictures on Facebook, and you know, and, and we called ESPN and all that. And please don't. <laughs> Please don't run me out of town. Uh, I I think I think Sweetwater got the raw end of the deal. Please don't hurt me. But but yeah, when we think a referee, we think, you know, I've been I've been an assistant. A uh, football coach, not football coach, assistant soccer coach to little kids this um uh, uh, this past couple months, and I've been amazed at how parents will talk to ten year old referees uh, who are who are refereeing a, a soccer game, and so you know sometimes I'm just like Homer Simpson. I just want to disappear into the shrubs behind me. I'm like hey, let's respect let's respect the ten year old. They've got an office here. They've got a position here. Um, but but when we think of the word administration. How does that make our heart, you know? Um, Police, anybody uh, like me and you're driving down the road and you see a policeman on the side of the interstate, is your first thought, man, I'm so glad he's out there keeping our streets safe? (laughs) Or is it, what have I done wrong? How's he going to get me, right? There's that sense of dread, right? Dread. Um, Sorry, police. What about when we think about IRS? Anybody think about the IRS and say, man, thank God for them. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful for the role they play in society. Uh, government in general. We say government. Ah, you know, most dangerous words in the English language. I'm here from the government. I'm here to help, right? Yeah, okay. um, so, so when I say the word submission, does joy, oh, I heard it, yeah. Uh, yeah. When I say submit, does joy just bubble up? Um, throughout the New Testament, there's all these different uh, layers of submission that 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 are that are talked about. We're called to submit to earthly government authorities. That's where we're going to be today. In Romans thirteen, uh, wives are told to submit to their husbands. Even just saying that, I'm like, please, no one hurt me, you know, right? But that's what the uh, uh, I, was, I looked at Sonda. I was like, can I say this, Sonda? You know, yeah, it, does. it says wives submit to your husbands. Um, it says husbands and wives submit to one another. The uh, God's word calls parents to, uh, children to submit to their parents. Uh, god 's Word calls us all as the body of Christ to submit to one another, and there 's this beautiful dimension of of, of submission, um, but the essence of Romans thirteen where we 're going to be today is that that god 's people are, are at least at minimum we 're called to be good citizens we 're called to be more than good citizens, but we shouldn 't be less than good citizens. And so when Paul talks to us about honoring human authorities is at minimum, the people of God are be marked by respect not rebellion. So when you think about your life, uh, is your life more characterized when we relate to government, when we relate to the school systems, when we relate to spouses, when we relate to parents, when we we relate to employers? Is my life more marked by rebellion or respect? And is the respect and submission I offer through clenched fists and gritted teeth or is it offered joyfully? Joyfully. Um, So have you ever noticed that you don't get mad when the ref misses a call in your favor, in your team's favor? Anybody ever said, hold on, stop the game, ref, we were holding, we need to be penalized. No, if they miss the call against us, it's fine, but when they miss a call or make a bad call in our opinion and and we're penalized, hold on, hold on now. Have you ever noticed that uh, we complain about the police when they pull us over for speeding, but they're who we call when somebody... Burglarized our house. You ever notice that when your guy's not in the White House, uh, it's really easy to, to to slander and to gossip and 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 speak dishonorably about him. But then when your guy is in the White House, we say, "Hey, let's just respect the office, okay? Let's let's just respect the office." The reality is, across the board, we are all good with authority as long as authority does what we want it to do. Anybody? We're good with authority as long as we agree with it. I like it's easy to submit to somebody as long as they're doing the exact same thing I would do if I was in their place. But what about when it's unfair? What about when it's we perceive not right? What if um, we don't like it? Let's acknowledge something, and that is that most of us in the room are rebellious. Um, I don't know if you've done much study of the Enneagram personality types. There's nine different types. I'm a type 8, which is the most rebellious of all the types. I'm a challenger. I, I I do not like for anybody to tell me what to do. And that is uh, something not for me to glory in or rejoice in. That's something for me to continually, day by day, surrender my life to Christ, surrender my heart to Christ. Um, but we all, wherever we, wherever we are in the Enneagram, all of us at some point, uh, we run up against our own rebellion. Maybe that's brazenly and openly. Maybe it's more subdued. Um, But I'm amazed, as I think about my heart, I'm amazed at how quickly my heart can run to rebellion. Anybody else, or is that just just me? Um, We're good with authority as long as it does what we want it to do, and that tends to be how we relate to God, isn't it? We're great with God as long as God does everything that I'll tell him to do. We're great with God as long as life is good, we're great with God as long as I get what I ask for. We're great with God as long as there's no suffering or struggle involved. And, and our relationship with human authority often parallels our relationship with God. Our heart towards human authority is kind of a clue as to our heart toward God. And I did some, uh, I was looking recently at Trinity's uh, demographics, our, our, our baptized active church membership. Uh, uh, when you look at our active baptized church membership, the median age and the average age is 39. 39 years old, our median age and our average age. I'm, I'm, I'm just under that at 38, and, uh, and so some of you are saying, 38, wow, do you need a walker? And, and some of you are saying, man, you're still a pup, you know? And so um, it's, it's it, but, but I'm kind of right there in between. And, and, and those older than our median age here um, tend to have a more positive view of authority in general, and those under that median age tend to have a more pessimistic view of authority. Uh, But really, all of us, when you cross us, when authority does what we don't like, we all, regardless of our age, can get rebellious. Um, How can we submit to human authority? One question we want to address today, and we all, I think, ask is, how can we submit to human authority when human authority is so often wrong? I mean, how can I teach my kids to submit to human authority when authorities so often abuse their power, look at Hollywood, look at Epstein, and look at uh, at, at Weinstein, Matt Lauer. Look at, uh, at, at the business world and all the corruption we've seen recently. Look at politics. Look at the Holocaust. Look at how often, even in the church, authority has been abused and misused to trample over people. How can I teach my children to respect authority When authority so often gets it wrong, we also as parents, if you're a parent, grandparent, foster parent, whatever, we struggle with how do I teach my children when it's right to resist authority, right? Because do you want your child to grow up doing everything authority figures tell them to do? No, (laughs) that was a terrible idea. Okay, and so how do we balance that? How do we how do we teach and practice and model respect, godly submission to authority, and also resisting evil authority in a godly way? So I watched this um, this uh, documentary a while back called Meth Storm. Uh, not really that encouraging, uh, by the way. Um, meth Storm. Uh, kind of early on in the in the in the documentary, there's this mom and her son, and they're shooting up meth together. They're just bonding with each other, shooting meth together. And then, um, later on in the documentary, the son gets arrested and put in prison for a long time, and the mom's interviewed, and she's saying, I just can't figure out how he would have made those choices. You know, I just can't, I just can't figure out why he would have gone to me. I'm like, You're like, you were just shooting meth with him. What are you talking about? And I have a similar conversation with parents who say, I just can't figure out why little Johnny won't listen to anything I say. Now, I'm I'm going to really try to tread lightly here. But we need to look in the mirror. How we relate to authority is caught more than taught. And so, little Johnny isn't just listening to what we say about authority. Little Johnny is watching how do we relate to authority. Um, Are you modeling joyful submission authority. Or are we like the lady in Meth Storm saying, I just can't figure out why my kids are so bad. All right, so godly submission is caught more than taught. What I'd like us to see today from this text is that godly submission to human authority flows from glad surrender to God. My core problem isn't that I struggle to submit to human authority. My deepest problem is that I struggle to surrender to God. And if I can't surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about checking a box. I'm talking about surrendering to God. If I can't surrender to God, I cannot submit to anyone else. And my biggest problem is that I have a heart that struggles to surrender to God. I suspect that's your problem too. So thinking about parents and how you teach that respect for authority, maybe you you don't need to do what my mom did when I was a kid, and I really hope she's not watching the live stream right now, but... Uh, when, when I was a kid, my sister and I, even though we, we, maybe we weren't in church much at the time, but my, my sister and I would always play church, and I would be the preacher. She would be the music leader. And uh, just to the late late 80s, remember Jimmy Swaggart? He had this really uh, public scandal, and he was on TV, and he was crying, and he was saying, I've sinned against you. And, and my mom walks in the living room, and, and my, my sister and I are, were mocking Jimmy Swaggart. And I'm saying I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. And my mom just like she just became this like uh, like hurricane of belt and hands and and she just started beating us. And she appropriately okay. And um and she sat us down on the couch and she's like I'm going to tell y'all something about speaking against God's anointed. We're like what mom? She said there was this guy named Elisha and he was a prophet of God and some kids kids like you. They started calling him old bald head, bald head, bald head, no. They called him old bald head. Do you know what happened to those kids? Hmm? Guess what happened? What happened, mom? Bears tore them limb from limb. And that's what's going to happen to you if you keep talking about Jimmy Swaggart. This is the closest to making fun of Jimmy Swaggart I've come to in 30 years, Okay. So what mom was trying to communicate, that is a real story about Elisha. We don't know if if the kids survived, but some young people came out and talked about Elisha, mocked him, bears came, made easy work of them. Troubling story. But what mom was trying to communicate and convey to me is respect authority. Respect the position of authority. God's people are marked by respect, not rebellion. So... Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person, not just some of us, or not when we feel like it, let every person be subject, submit, be submissive to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, and this word resists is the opposite of of submit. It's really more of what we would call rebellion. It's to resist in a, in a forceful way. It's to oppose. It's the same word used uses for God opposes the proud. So, so those who oppose human authority uh, resist rebelliously, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Do what's good. You'll receive his approval. He's God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He's is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Because of this, you pay taxes. Paul's like, okay, well, he's going to start meddling now. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to, what's, to all what's owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We often complain about the government, right? It's kind of like a pastime. And we might disagree on how much government's enough government, how much is not enough government. I've had the opportunity to be in some places in the world where there was no government. I'm going to tell you something, that's a scary place to be. Where there's no structure, that's scary. And anarchy always favors the strong. The weak get trampled where there's anarchy. And so Paul is saying here that part of God's design for government is that government gives order to this world. God is a God of order, not chaos. And so Paul's riding under an emperor. He's riding under a, a, a monarchy. Uh, there's all kinds of different forms of government, but regardless of the form or the flavor, God's purpose in government is to give structure. Uh, Paul's told us back in Romans 12, don't take your own vengeance. And then he says here that part of government's job is to carry out wrath. Part of government's job is to pursue justice, to oppose evil, to punish evil. And we need government to do that. God's established government to do that. We can, uh, we can acknowledge, though, that government often does a really imperfect job of that, right? Government often does a really imperfect job of judging and suppressing and uh, and punishing and restraining evil. Um, Paul isn't saying necessarily that every person who's ever held office was God's best for that position. I don't think Paul's saying that Nero or Hitler, like God was like, hmm, this is really my choice for this. What he's saying is, is that God has ordained government and authority. And God works through that to bring restraining and order to our world. Now, Paul knows more than anybody that some government can be evil. He's riding under an emperor named Nero who loved to burn Christians and set them on fire. Paul's been thrown in and out of prison by governing authorities. He he, he knows that the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities collaborated and conspired together to crucify Jesus. Like, Paul knows that government gets it wrong a lot. But what he's addressing is, honor the office of government. Uh, Submit to those in authority. And when we think about submission... I think about Tony Evans' example. Tony Evans says there's a law dog and a grace dog. And a law dog, when he sees, he sees you coming, he kind of walks up like this, like with his head down, and he won't look at you. And he's just kind of afraid of getting hit. And the grace dog runs up, and his tail is shaking, and he's happy to see you. And, and he just sits down, and it's like, let's do this thing, right? Well, you don't have to relate to those in authority over you like a law dog. You can relate like a grace dog. And we can relate from the sense of God is given me the power of his spirit that lives in me, and now I thrive and love to serve and to honor those that I can honor, those that God's put in authority over me. Um, So Paul knows that human authorities are sinful sometimes, and yet he's telling us that there's such a thing as godly and glad submission to human authority, and that begins with glad surrender to God. There's something subversive that he's doing here. He says that governing authorities are God's servant, God's deacon. In other words, he's saying, Nero isn't God. The president isn't God. Your spouse isn't God. Your boss isn't God. Keep in mind, there is a God. And you honor God as you honor this lesser authority. But don't get confused and start treating the lesser authority like that lesser authority is God. So be a good citizen. Daniel models being a good citizen. Remember Daniel in captivity in Babylon, and um, and and they offer him all this great food to eat, and he says, "Hey, um, thank you, but could it be?" done could it be possible that you let me and my friends eat this food that's that's according to our law and just test us and just see how it works out what he doesn't do is say hey we're not going to eat this get this out of my sight give me my food he doesn't demand his own way he doesn't complain he's not rebellious he humbly asks questions redirects and he's a model to us of how you can be a good citizen and resist authority in a godly way when he goes before the king nebuchadnezzar he doesn't fawn all over him he's not saying oh i'm so glad to just be at this position of power no he's not a puppet to politics he's a prophet but he's, he does it all in a humble and a respectful way jeremiah 29 verse 7 we have up there jeremiah wrote the exiles that had been pulled out of jerusalem and they've been placed in babylon he says Pray for the welfare of your city. Seek the welfare of your city where I've sent you in exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Where in its welfare you will find your welfare. What it means to be church, part of what it means to be church and God's people is that we pray and we work and we seek after the welfare of this Babylon where God's placed us. We won the lottery. We live in the best Babylon ever. But we still live in Babylon. This is is still a, a broken and fallen empire. So he says, "Be a good citizen." We, we're at least called to do that. I think about, I've been rewatching the show, The Office. Anybody like The Office? And and Michael Scott is a pretty good example of, and, and the whole show is a pretty good example of what it looks like to live under an unfit leader. If if the if the staff had done everything Michael Scott told them to do, like terrible, terrible, terrible things would happen. But also outright rebellion. Uh, when 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 that happens on the show, it's kind of it kind of makes your stomach turn. You're Like, oh, that's not good either. But often the staff have to kind of be creative in how they deal with, with Michael, where they're humble but, and, and playful, but don't necessarily do everything that he commands. And maybe that's a helpful mo- metaphor because there's this, there's this tension between blind obedience and blind rebellion. Some of us are bent toward just blindly being loyal to whatever system we're in. Check, check, check. We check our brain at the door. Yep, okay, the government's telling me to do this, so I'll do it. Or my spouse is telling me to do this, or my pastor's telling me to do this. But in reality, if your parent, your pastor, uh, your party tells you to to break God's law, then you've got to go with God, right? But you do it in a humble way. Some of us are bent towards blind obedience. Some of us are bent towards blind rebellion. Probably more of us. And so there's this tension here. Submission to your spouse, submission to your government, submission to church leaders, submission to one another is not blind loyalty. It's not justifying abuse. And so like if your husband is beating you or your boss is sexually harassing you, submitting to that doesn't mean you just let that happen. It means you, in our system, our society, you can ask for help. Ask for help. Get help. Get out of the situation. But do it in a humble and in a godly way. Um, Submission doesn't mean justifying evil things. Paul told us in, in Romans 12, hate what's evil. Love what's good. So submitting to the government doesn't say we see the government doing something evil and say, well, you know, it's okay, no big deal. It doesn't mean we shrug our shoulders at evil. It doesn't mean we're indifferent toward evil. It doesn't mean you abandon your own relationship with God. So I run this, uh, sometimes a, a woman will say, hey, my husband uh, wants me to submit to him, but he's not following Jesus. And the, the thing is, husbands, we, we maybe like to play that card every now and then, submit to, 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 to me. But like, if you're not submitting to Jesus, how is your wife supposed to submit to you? If Jesus isn't leading you, you cannot lead her. And so what, what I encourage wives to do is don't wait on your husband to have your own walk with Christ. You're responsible to walk with Jesus now. Well, I want to serve. He doesn't want to serve. Serve. Serve God. Honor God. You're going to stand before God one day, and he's not going to say, oh, your husband didn't want you to. Okay. Same thing to husbands. Maybe your wife's not on board. You serve God. You honor God, but don't do it in a rebellious way. I'm going to do this or else. No. Hey, I'm going to go serve God. You want to to come along and do this with me? See, we do it humbly. We do it honorably not picking a fight. Submission is not preaching Nero more than Jesus. Paul doesn't even mention Nero's name here. Everybody knows who he's talking about. But he's not saying, hey, you need to support Nero's policy of this, and you need to support Nero's policy of that, and if you don't if you don't do what Nero's telling you to do, you're not a good believer. He doesn't even mention Nero by name, which is also subversive. There's Christians in our world in our time that are preaching politics more than they're preaching Jesus. That's not what submission to a government authority looks like. Um, Paul doesn't practice any of these things. You can resist without being rebellious. Acts 5.29 is a good example of this. Peter, James, and John are told, hey, don't preach the gospel anymore. And they, they didn't say, okay, since you say so. The authority is them, don't preach the gospel. They didn't say, okay. They also didn't say, you can't stop us. we're going to go, we're going to do whatever we want to do. They don't rebel. They say, hey, we're going to obey God rather than men. And then in verse 41, they just rejoice that they were worthy to suffer like Jesus after they were beaten. Our government beaten anybody in this room lately? They rejoice that they were worthy of suffering like Jesus. The disciples did not expect to be treated better than Jesus was treated. I think we've come to expect that we'll be treated better than Jesus was treated, and we won't be. They didn't expect that. They kept preaching the gospel, but they did it in a humble way, in a God-honoring way, not in a rebellious way. Um, so a a person well, and, and the reason for that is that God opposes the proud. You ever get a, an insight about maybe what the church is doing wrong, or what the school is doing wrong, or what the government's doing wrong? And so you bust into the office, you kick the door down, you're, this is how you guys are wrong, and this is what you better start. Anybody? You fire off that email and you're so right. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I know some of you guys. What we forget is that God opposes the proud, even when we're right. If I'm right, but I'm proud, God will not let me succeed. Even if I'm right, God opposes the proud. And so when we resist, we've got to resist in a humble way, in a godly way. That's at home, that's at school, that's at church, and that's in the government. So, a person characterized by godly submission, particularly related to the government, is going to pray for those in authority. Do you pray for our government leaders? Do you pray for the leaders of your school, your home, your church family? So, a person characterized by godly submission obeys the laws of the land until those laws clash with the laws of God. So, if I'm in a school zone and I think, you know what, I really, I'm in a hurry, so it's okay if I drive 50 miles an hour, that's not submission, right? You know, know, the police wouldn't mind if I took this phone call in the school zone because I'm super important. That's not submission to authority. Uh, We obey the laws of the land. Um, So so some people have taken this. So, like, think about Nazi Germany. Uh, Jerry Harvey was an author, and he wrote a a book called uh, Eichmann, in the organization, and he talks about Adolf Eichmann, who was like the, 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 the architect of the Holocaust. And Eichmann, after, after World War II was over, Eichmann said, he said, I don't remember anybody ever telling me no. People just did whatever I told them to do. Nobody ever told me no. Everybody just did their job. Millions of people got killed because people were bureaucratic and just doing their job. There comes a point where if you're told to do something evil you got to say no. Obeying a sinful command is sin. Doesn't matter who it comes from. Disobeying a sinful command in a sinful way is sin. Because we go from, man when it comes to rebellion, we go from zero to a hundred really fast. We, we, even when we're called to disobey, there's a way to disobey. There's a way to resist. Think about the Hebrew midwives in the Exodus narrative. Pharaoh says, you got to kill all the baby boys. And they say, Mm, not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, they were humble about it, but they didn't obey. Think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Cory Tin Boom. Cory Tin Boom, her family, they rescued hundreds of, of, of Jews during World War II. But they were humble people. Martin Luther King Jr., nonviolent resistance. People who are characterized by godly submission practice humility especially when we disagree with the authority. There's nothing salt or light about respecting authority that you agree with. Anybody can do that. Non-Christians do that every day. But it's salt and light when you honor authority and respect authority that you disagree with. When everybody's talking about how stupid your boss is, and maybe he is stupid, how stupid your pastor is, and he probably is, What do you do there? When you disagree, respecting authority you disagree with is is different um, than what the world sees. Um, There's no honor in in respecting the referee who called all the calls you would have called. There's honor in respecting the referee who you feel like gave you a raw deal. A humble person refuses to slander, refuses to gossip even when they're right. A humble person confesses when we're wrong. They go to that authority and say, you know what, I've been wrong. Please forgive me. Go to your small group. I've been wrong in my attitude. And repent. When somebody, uh, Jonathan Pokluda I heard him say, when somebody tells you what to do, don't resent the what, respect the who. When someone tells you what to do, don't resent the what, respect the who. So at work, most of the time we're not upset that our boss has given us most of the time it's not that our our boss has told us to kill somebody or do something evil. Most of us just don't like anybody telling us what to do. Right? Or wrong. Are you gone? You done? It's hard. Don't tell me what to do. Respect the who. No corrupt human authority has the power to destroy your walk with Christ. Did you know that? No spouse no pastor, no boss, no governor, no president can destroy your walk with Christ. But a bitter and a rebellious heart will destroy your walk with Christ. A bitter and a rebellious heart will destroy your walk with Christ. So how do we submit to leaders? Parents, bosses, church leaders, government leaders, one another, first of all, we've got to surrender to God. Glad surrender to God results in godly submission to others. And, and the core problem for us is that we just really don't even like submitting to God. Humility before God translates into confident humility toward others. Just take a lesson from Saul and David. David was not a good guy to work for, or excuse me, well, David at the end wasn't either, but Saul was not a good guy to work for. Saul would throw spears. He was mentally unstable. yet, David refused to speak ill of him. He refused to hurt him. David honored that authority in his life. And there's a book by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. And Gene Edwards says something along the lines of, God allows sauls in your life because he wants to destroy the Saul in you. There's a Saul in me and there's a Saul in you that God wants to destroy. And sometimes God uses bad leaders to do something in our hearts and in our character that, that great leaders wouldn't accomplish. Sometimes God allows great, uh, 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 unsavory leaders to be in our lives, unsavory authorities to be in our lives, because there's something that he desires to work out in us. We have a... Throughout, the, 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 throughout history, the church has thrived under corrupt governments. The church has thrived under unfair systems. Because in those times, the church learns where our hope is and where our foundation is. Let's, let's wrap up. We have a humility problem I have a humility problem. I suspect you do too. Second, we have a love problem. And this is what affects our ability and our willingness to surrender and to submit. We have a love problem. Let's pick up in in Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. All the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is what the law always pointed to, but couldn't, the law couldn't get us there. And then Jesus does get us there because God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. By his spirit, by his love, by his example, by his indwelling presence, he gives us the power to love. And so he's really reiterating what he's already said in Romans 12, that to be a Christian means to be a good neighbor. And go back and read that in, in Romans 12, that latter part, the how he tells us to love one another, what that looks like. Bob Goff says this. He says, Find a way to love difficult people more, and you'll be living the life Jesus talked about. Anybody got a difficult person in your life? You Maybe looking at him right now. Look to the left or to the right, straight ahead. Maybe the one you look at in the mirror. I don't know. Go find somebody you've been avoiding and give away extravagant love to them. Anybody you've been avoiding? You'll learn more about God, your neighbor, your enemies, your faith. Find someone you think is wrong, someone you disagree with, someone who is not like you at all, and decide to love that person the way you want Jesus to love you. And some of you are saying, man, I married that person. Awesome. We need to love everybody always. Jesus never said doing these things would be easy. He just said it would work. This kind of love isn't easy, but it transforms the world. We have a love problem and we have a hope problem. Paul closes Romans 13 by saying, verse 11, besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Part of the reason we struggle to submit to earthly authorities is that we've forgotten that there's coming a day when there's going to be a good and true king who judges all evil, puts all evil under his feet. He brings about perfect justice, destroys injustice. We've forgotten that there's a good King and that He rules now, but 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 His full reign is coming. If we put our hope in politics or our government, we're gonna get bitter. We're gonna get frustrated. We're gonna be let down. As we as we as we wind down, I'm, I think about one of the movies that I love, um, the Shawshank Redemption, how it retells the story of the gospel really beautifully. You've got. This man, Andy Dufresne, he goes to prison and he's different than anybody there. And and after years of being mistreated under human authorities, he escapes from prison. And by the way, the gospel is really about a prison break. We were in chains to sin and God wants to save us from that. Uh, Dufresne escapes prison by really going through a death and a resurrection. He descends through the sewer and he crawls through all that mile of sewer and he emerges on the other side washed in the waters of baptism with a new name, a new identity, new resources, and in a new retirement plan. He ends up at that beautiful beach in Mexico and his friend Red, Morgan Freeman, who's been narrating the whole thing. Morgan Freeman, uh, Red had said earlier, he said, hope's a dangerous thing, but now he's released from Shawshank. He's going to find Andy. He says, I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Man, we have a a humility problem. We have a love problem. And we have a hope problem. But the solution to our humility problem, our love problem, and our hope problem are all found in the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ submits to his Father perfectly. The relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit is one of total mutual Submission. Jesus says, I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. Jesus submitted to his father's plan all the way to the cross. That's the kind of heart your God has for you. And we're saying, I don't know, I don't want to do these spreadsheets my boss told me to do. God's goal through good and bad authority is to form Christ in you. That's what God's up to. Through the good authority in your life, and I hope there's good authority through the bad authority in your life, God is at work forming Christ in you. So I want to close with Mark 12. Jesus says, verse 17, Jesus says, Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. He's, again, saying pay your taxes, people. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. So the empire then and the empire now wants our worship. You can't give it that. The empire doesn't get our worship. Only God gets our worship. But the empire can get our respect. It can get our honor. If you're on an airplane with a person who shares your politics, maybe on one side of you, you got a person who shares your politics but not your faith. On the other side you've got a person who shares your faith but not your politics. Who do you feel more comfortable with? Who do you have more in common with? Who are you most passionate to win? That reveals whether you've given to Caesar what's not his.